just wanted to start out by saying this talk is for everyone. You young men that aren't old enough, you two guys, some of the rest of you, Walton, you guys aren't old enough to get married yet, this is where you can start setting yourself up for success. As we talk this morning, pay attention guys, because someday you will be getting married, and if you do it God's way, it'll be awesome. For you single men that are looking for a wife that haven't yet been blessed with one, rejoice in your gifting now. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, it says that your singleness is a gift, and the word that it uses there in 7, 7 is actually the same Greek word for gift that Paul uses later in chapter 12 and 14 about a spiritual gift. And what he's saying there is when you're single, that's like God's gift to you to spend that time drawing close to him and setting the foundation for marriage that's supposed to be there, not just going into it blind. So if you're single today, also take notes, also prepare. I would say, I would encourage you, don't just be so focused on that that you miss now. Rejoice in this time. Enjoy this time right now to grow closer to God. For all you unmarried men, whatever age you are, go to trainbyfaith.com, Evan did this, and listen to the talk called Relationships. You can ask me about that later. But it's just really good dating and pre-marriage advice that we share with a lot of our students about how to find the right woman that God intended for you. I think it was Ravi Zacharias said, Who you marry determines whether you make your heaven or hell on earth. (laughs) And it's so true. It's so true. So you guys, invest in that now. You young guys... Invest in it now. I'm glad that you're here because that's part of what you're doing. You happily married guys. There are a lot of you guys in here that love your wives. You're happily married. It never hurts to hear it again. This stuff is so good. Bob and Chris Hardrick and I, we all went to a marriage conference in February, three months ago or something like that. And it was so good. You know, and a lot of what they tell you at marriage conferences like that, you've heard, you've heard, you've heard, and it never hurts to hear it again. I mean, I walked away refreshed, encouraged, and, and challenged afresh and anew in my marriage from that retreat. So, if you're happily married, golly, take whatever said this morning and walk away with it and, and keep being happily married. For you guys whose marriages aren't where they should be, and I know that there are probably a lot of you here today too, I want to tell you there's hope. There really is hope. God did not design marriage for it to be bad. God designed marriage for it to be good. And as you get your eyes on Christ and begin applying what the scripture says about marriage, I believe he has a great marriage in store for you. I've seen some terrible marriages turn around into great marriages. I've seen marriages that dealt with adultery and many other terrible things, pornography, and I've seen those marriages come back to be some of the most awesome and strong marriages that I've ever seen. So no matter where you're at today, you can walk away with something. And I really encourage you to have that attitude just between you and God. And I want to say pastors. There are a lot of pastors in here. You have a big responsibility. I'll share some statistics later, but marriage in the church is not where it needs to be. Christian men, we are not loving our wives like God called us to. So you as pastors have a big responsibility to challenge your men and to lead those examples yourselves in your own lives. And here's a big one, to prepare people adequately. I've seen a lot of pastors that when a couple comes to them and says, you know, we want to get married, it's like, you know, we don't want to lose you from our church, etc., etc., and we love you guys, and so, you know, we'll do, you know, three weeks of really shallow pre-marriage counseling. And in fact, I'll, I'll just be blunt. My friend, he wanted to get married, and he had some major issues, some major red flags. I went to his pastor and him and sat down with the three of us together in his pastor's office. And I said, I'm roommates with this guy. We've been roommates for four years, pretty much. And I said, there are these major red flags in, in, in his relationship with this woman that he wants to marry. And I said, please, please, don't ignore this, but work through this correctly. 
He told me, Nate, we brought that up in one of our sessions. It's all taken care of. And I told this guy, I said, you don't fix that in a session. You know, this is a lifestyle pattern that's been there for years. This isn't going to be fixed in one hour. And he flat out told me, Nate, it's not an issue. Don't worry about it. About six months ago, my friend's wife started cheating on him. Many, many people saw a terrible reflection of Christ. In fact, the guy she started the affair with was a guy that she was trying to witness to for several months at work. So I want to challenge all you pastors to take this seriously. Chris and Kaylee were the first couple that my wife and I did pre-marriage counseling with. And we did almost a year, right Chris? I think we did almost a year with them. And I promise you, whenever we saw an issue, we really challenged it. And if we would have seen other issues, we would have challenged it even harder. And I want to encourage you guys, marriage the way God designed it is awesome. So let's as Christian men go there. Let's as Christian men be the examples that God's called us to be. Now I want to thank you guys, because a lot of you guys in this room have been my examples. The first time I talked at one of these retreats was about, I don't know, eight years ago. I was a student at Fort Lewis. How many of you guys were here that time? I think Wayne was here, Gordy was here, Michael, Steve, Gary was here, Kyle, Ray, were you here? I think you were here. You guys have been my examples. I remember that, that same weekend we did, a, we did a panel on marriage. All you guys were sitting up here. And I took notes like mad because I was just beginning a dating relationship with Aaron, who's my wife now. And a lot of your examples really set the foundation for my marriage now. So I want to thank you guys because you guys helped me get started on the right track. And over the years coming to these retreats, you guys have really encouraged me the right ways. So with all that, I want to start with a quote. You guys heard this? I don't know who, who said this originally, but the character of a man shows on the countenance of his wife's face. A lot of us think that we can be really awesome and wonderful and great men and not treat our wives the way God has called us to. And that's just not true. Our capacity to treat our wives and to love our wives like Christ loved his church is the level of our manliness. It stops there. It really stops there. Gary Chapman had another great quote. I think this will kind of get you guys laughing a bit. If your spouse is an idiot, you're a double idiot for marrying them. Okay? So, it's true. A lot of guys think, well, my wife is out of her mind. You know, well, then you're out of your mind for marrying that woman. Marriage takes two. So I wanted to start out with those two quotes because they're good. And I wanted to recognize Kyle. Because Kyle has encouraged me specifically in my marriage. He and his wife have gotten Aaron and I books on marriage, and they've challenged us in our marriage, and they've encouraged us to go on this weekend to remember that we went to. And They've been really active, and they've really lived an example, a transparent example. I lived with them for six weeks, two summers ago, and overseas. We could see their marriage and how they dealt with their kids every day. Thank you, Kyle, because you've been an awesome example to me. So, my story, my parents got divorced when I was about 18. They'd been in full-time ministry for 13, 14 years. I didn't see it coming, but it just kind of hit like a bombshell. After that happened, I came to the conclusion that marriage didn't work, that it was just false, that it was just fake. And I bet a lot of you young guys in this room probably think that right now. A lot of you old guys might think that. And I was in, on a mission trip in Nepal, and I was jogging out in Chitwan. It's kind of the middle region of Nepal. It's, a, it's the jungle region. And I was jogging between these little villages, and it hit me just like a brick wall. Sometimes God will reveal something to you so clearly, it literally feels like you're getting hit with a brick. This is one of those moments. And what God really conveyed to me was that I was believing a lie about marriage. I was believing that marriage isn't possible. And God really showed me. He created marriage to be great, not okay, not to be survivable, but to be top-notch, to be great. 
And see, I was not believing that. Even though I was his child, I was believing something opposite of what he created. I was believing a lie. And when God challenged me with that, I came to the conclusion, I am going to get married someday. And I want that marriage to be great. And I want it to reflect Christ the way he desires. And guys, it was the scariest thing in my life. I remember the morning that I got married, Russ married Aaron and I, and Russ and Linda did pre-marriage counseling with us and all that. I remember I was trying to read my Bible in the morning of July 13, 2002. Got to remember that date. I was shaking it like that. I couldn't even read. I was shaking so bad. And I had all these worries. You know, what if I screw up my marriage? You know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I finally just said, God, I trust you. I trust you. It's only by your grace. What's the possibility of two selfish human beings living in a mutually loving and putting the other person first relationship? It's not very high. But by his grace, it's possible. So I said, God, by your grace only can I do this. Aaron and I have been married six years, and, and we have a great marriage. I can stand here before you today and say that clearly. We definitely have had arguments and things like that. But you know what? It's rare. And it is predominantly peaceful. And I love her more now than I did six years ago. I love her more now than I did when I started dating her. And it's only by God's grace, guys. It's only by God's grace. So I challenge you today. Marriage is awesome. So do you want to live a happy life? We're going to go over a lot of notes today. Just a lot of practical things about marriage. So if it does apply, don't worry about it. If it does apply, write it down or take note of it. But then I really want to end on the heart. Okay, I really want to end on the heart. And I want to challenge you guys with this. Do you want to live a happy life? Do you want to live a happy life? I think all you guys do. You want to live a life that's not just full of depression and anxiety and bitterness and anger, right? Don't you guys want to have peace, joy in your life? Your marriage is really the key to that, guys. I mean, your walk with God is ultimately the key to that. But if your marriage with your wife is always on the rocks, you're not going to have that joy and peace that God wants for you or that you desire. So this is big. It's kind of like, here's the difference. You can live the rest of your life in a happy marriage or in bitterness, anger, resentment, rage. And it's your decision. What do you want to pick? Love your wife, guys. Love your wife. Not just be attracted to her, but love her. This is choosing to put her good first every single day. That's not easy. There are going to be times when you really don't want to do this. You guys that have been married know that. But in those times when I choose to put her good first, that's where the marriage starts. Compare that with constant quarreling. Gosh, it seems like whenever we have a, an argument where we really argue, it's about something that's meaningless, right? And it's just kind of indicative of something else, like what color some car was or something like that. No, it was black. How could you be so ignorant? It wasn't white. Compare that idea of constant quarreling versus having a life of peace and just being the man and saying, I lay down my right to be right. See, I don't have to be right. I can love my wife. I can choose to put her first regardless. And see, that's being the man. That's being the man saying, you know what? I'm man enough that I don't have to be right. I can put that down. Don't give up happiness to walk around bitter all day, guys. Don't give up happiness to be angry all day. Invest in your marriage. Marriage is hard work. How many of you guys have heard that? Marriage is hard work. How many of you guys have said that? Marriage is hard work. Okay, marriage is hard work, but there's something that I want you guys to get here. It's not hard work in the sense of digging ditches. That's hard work, and it's painful, and I don't like it. Marriage is not hard work in that type of way. Marriage is hard work in Gordy's type of way. Fly fishing. How, how long did it take you to get good at fly fishing, Gordy? Still trying. <laughs> Still trying. Okay. I've been out fly fishing a lot. My last two days on the San Juan, I got stunk the whole day. It was hard work, but it was very awesome. Being out there in the river. I wish I would have caught something. It was hard work, and kind of it was a little frustrating. Why won't they bite my fly? 
but the process was still awesome. What I want to encourage you guys in is the hard work in marriage, the process is still good. When when you think of hard work, don't expect your marriage to be a drain on you. Expect it to be awesome. Where you do have to invest a lot of work in it. But at the same time, that's like investing in a hobby that you love. You're training to really make it awesome. And that work is not a pain. So marriage is hard work. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your wife. Guys, we're talking about being men. In the quiet times, we, we had a bunch of verses about taking a stand. About taking a stand. Marriage is something that we have to fight for. Sometimes we almost think passively about marriage, you know? Like, it's just there. You know, I'm married, but it's not that big of a deal. We need to fight for our marriages. As guys, it's so easy to be passive. She's still living with me. We still talk, and we still have sex. So it must be okay. I need to be investing daily in this marriage. I need to be investing constantly in this marriage and making it what it needs to be. So learn and grow, guys. I would, I would encourage you, get books, get tapes, get other resources that are going to help you become a better husband. None of us are where we need to be. I know I'm not where I need to be. I want to be growing into what I need to be. So get resources that will help you do it. Come to retreats like this. Don't you guys get encouraged every weekend after you leave these retreats. Go back and love your wives, to love your kids, to make a difference for Christ in your towns, to really plug into your churches. And I would really encourage you, go to weekendtoremember.com. Go to one of their retreats, their weekend-long retreats, and get away with your wife. And it will really, really, really jumpstart your marriage. It'll be awesome. So invest in your marriage, guys. Invest in your marriage. Your friends, your children, your coworkers, your church, the entire society needs desperately to see this. Needs desperately to see this. There are just as many stats and just as many websites talking about who needs marriage anymore. I mean, who even needs it? You know, they've all shown us it doesn't work. So let's do it a different way. They have cohabitation websites and stay single now websites and the society needs to see Christian men standing up and fighting for marriage, saying we will glorify God in our marriage and be the reflection of Christ that he designed this to be. So this is serious. Many of our students tell Aaron and I we're the first good marriage they've ever seen. That's sad. Part of me is glad that they see our marriage as good. Part of me is very, very, very sad that they've never seen that before. So they need to see us, guys. They need to see us as a reflection of what God desires so God's desire for marriage. Why did God even make marriage? God created marriage to be a reflection of him and his love for us. In Genesis 1.27 it said he created male and female, both as a reflection of his image. You alone do not illustrate or show all the characteristics of God. Together you show a complete picture of God. Alone and separate you don't. See, God's design for us as couples is that together we could really glorify Christ and point to him and reflect the fullness of who he is. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, we're going to close with that, so I won't read it now. But it talks about how marriage is a reflection of God's love for the church. It's truly what it is. He desired to create marriage to show a reflection of himself and of his love for us. So when we screw that up, we're not reflecting those things. You know, some stats have shown that the divorce rate among Christians is higher than it is among non-Christians. That's a scary thing if we as Christian men aren't even meeting our society average as far as marriage goes. So we need to step it up. So true companionship is the second goal of marriage. In Genesis 2.18 it says that it's not good for man to be alone. And this is true. I know we as men, I think, need our wives almost more than our wives need us. I mean, I know they need us too. But as men, it's not good for you to be alone. You need your wife. Get this. Men are nine times more likely to commit suicide after divorce than women. Almost ten times as likely. Because we really depend on the support that we get from our wives. 
You guys have heard the term synergy. This was something that was mentioned at this marriage conference. They gave us a Clydesdale example. And I can't verify this stat, so it's, you know, it's out there. But they say that one Clydesdale horse, you know the Bushweiser Clydesdales, they say one Clydesdale can pull two tons alone. Two tons, that's a lot of weight, okay? Put two of them together, and you know what they say? They say two of them together can pull 22 tons. Two together can do a lot more than either one separate, or the sum of either one working individually. Now you and your wife together are a team, that's how God designed it. And there can be a synergy between you that allows you to be much more effective and productive in life and to accomplish what God called you to than you ever could be alone. Just in this talk today, there, there are many notes, and I'll point them out, that I gave this to Aaron. I said, okay, now you add in whatever on this, you know. So Aaron went through and added some things. So it'll be fun to see what all she has to say. But there's a synergy. There's a companionship that God designed you for. You're not good to be alone. He, put you, he designed you to be together with somebody for a reason. And that wife is that somebody. So she's God's gift to you guys. She's God's gift to you. When God decided who you were going to marry, you think he knew what you would need? So, I mean, even if your wife doesn't appear to you to be what you need, that's what God said you needed. <laughs> so trust him with it. Sometimes we're going to see those differences and go, man, why aren't you more like me? Can you get it together? I think at a point I as a man need to realize she's a lot different than me, and there's a whole lot I need to learn from her. There's a whole lot I need to gain from her. She's that team member that God gave me. True companionship. The third reason that God designed marriage was to raise godly children. And Genesis 1.28 talks about that. Pastor Frank's going to talk about this later today. He has some awesome children that really love God, so he's very qualified to talk about that. What Kyle always tells us is, your kids are the only people you get to disciple from day one. See, Jesus gave us this great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You get to do that with your kids. Steve, you're a great example of this. I see and Wayne, too. See you guys bringing your kids to these retreats, training them to be men of God. That's awesome. So every marriage is going to be fought against, guys. If you get married or if you are married, you're going to have opposition. Guaranteed. It will not go unopposed. In John 10, 10, it says the thief or, or Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy and Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. In marriage, it's the same thing. He desires to steal, kill, and destroy in your marriage. And Jesus desires to give you life in your marriage, to make it alive, and to give you life abundantly in your marriage. So this is the opposition going on that we need to fight in. You're also going to be opposed by your own flesh. Your own flesh is going to stand up and say, I'm right, she's wrong. Or, I deserve this. Why doesn't she give me that? Our own flesh is going to stand up. Again, two selfish people trying to live together. And the world system is also going to fight against you and in your marriage. Divorce is okay. Live for pleasure. If your wife isn't making you happy, ditch her. Find somebody younger. That's what the world says. So you're getting opposed from Satan, from your own flesh, and from the world in your marriage. And as a man, God's called you to take a stand and to fight for your marriage. To fight for it. Not passively, but to actively take a stand for it. So every marriage is either growing or dying, progressing or regressing. Your marriage never remains flat, guys. It's impossible. If you go, that's just passively flat, well, no, it's going downhill. It's either progressing or regressing. It's either growing or dying. So what I want to challenge you guys with is that there's no middle ground. We need to consciously be growing in our marriages. Every day, again, Kyle. Kyle's been married for how many years? 19 this summer. All the time, you know, he, he and Mitch, his wife, they're getting new books on marriage, and they're telling us about what they're learning in it. They're going to new marriage seminars. New, they don't have the idea that we've learned it all in the past 20 years. 
they have the idea that we need to keep growing. We need to keep putting this at the forefront. And that's exactly what I want. So here are some things that make marriages failures. And I'm going to kind of go through these kind of fast. And if one hits you, it's good. If not, don't worry about it. But these are actually the top nine reasons that people get divorces. So it's kind of good to know. The number one reason people get divorces is money. You know, they don't know how to handle money. I think that goes a lot more to things like communication, selfishness, irresponsibility. I think money is just kind of the fruit of, of all that stuff. But money is a, a fundamental issue. You know, we have a student right now that, who, whose parents are, are, are having big struggles with money and it's splitting them apart. Infidelity or adultery is a huge deal. 41% of married couples today admit to infidelity. Almost half, guys. It's not a small deal. 57% of men, check this out, 57% of men and 54% of women admit that they have cheated in every relationship they've ever had. That's insane. That's insane. What I want to really challenge you with here, guys, is if you're in an adulterous relationship, and I have no reason to believe any of you are, but if you are, break it off this weekend. This weekend would be a great time to say, God, I'm getting real with you, and I'm putting you first. And I'm going to renew that relationship with my wife that you gave me and bring this up appropriately with your wife because I've seen God transform marriages. And I've seen God even use an adultery situation to get the marriage to where it needed to be. As weird as that could be, you know, people that for years just had this ongoing fight and then finally it climaxed with an adultery. And then they were able to process that, get it out in the open, and now they're... Their marriage is something that it never was before. So if you are there, you can get out of it. And I want to encourage you guys, you married guys, adultery is searching for something you already have. It really is. It's searching for something you already have. God gave you a wife. Proverbs 5 talks about always being satisfied with the wife of your youth. Always being satisfied with the wife of your youth. It's a great thing. Okay, so infidelity is a big deal. Remember Matthew 5, 28, guys. Jesus said, if we lust after a woman... It's committing adultery with her in her heart. And this is a big issue for us as men, is lust and porn. A lot of guys go, hey, I'm not, I'm not actually cheating on my wife, but I'm addicted to porn. Yesterday, this is so fitting, yesterday I'm typing all these notes up, and I look over at the news just to check the news, and one of the headlines on Fox News was, Japanese man gets demoted for going to a porn site 780,000 times in nine months. So, you guys, if you do the math, it's over 5,000 times a day on work days, okay, at his office. I don't even know what was happening when he got home. We all think that's crazy, but a little bit of lust is the same way. Gordy's example for lust is the best one I've ever heard. Austin's my accountability partner. I love him. A lot of you guys know Austin Kirkus. This is our standard now. A beautiful woman walks by. You, you say, wow, she's really beautiful. That's not lust. I turn my head a second time. Okay, now it just became lust, right? And Austin and I have this accountability where I will tell Austin, every woman that I look twice at like that. It's like, whoa, you know, take that, that double head turn or whatever. I need to get on the phone with Austin and let him know. I need to email Austin and let him know. See, us as guys, whether it's lust or porn or wherever it's at, guys, that is setting something in between you and your wife. It's destroying that relationship. It's pulling you apart. All of a sudden, your wife has to compare with something else for your affections. All of a sudden, you're, you're saying, my wife really isn't as beautiful as she should be. I deserve better. And see, what happens is it just starts to destroy that marriage. It becomes an addiction you can't control. I had one guy say, I've been addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to smoking, to all this. 
Porn was the hardest addiction to break out of all that. And here's where I want to challenge you kids, you young guys in here. You're not too young to hear this. Michael, when I was 11, I had a man of God, John Ray. I hope John Ray hears this. I've told him many times. John Ray challenged me when I was 11 years old. And he said, porn will destroy you. And he went through all the different consequences of porn and all this stuff. And this is when I was young. I hadn't even been interested in girls up to this point. Maybe I was just getting to that level. And John Ray challenged me so hard. I want you to make a commitment today not to get into porn. And I thought about it and thought about it. And I made that commitment at 11 years old. And I kept that. I kept that. I still struggle with lust. That was a struggle, but porn wasn't. And what I want to challenge you fathers with is challenge your sons about porn. Do not keep silent. If you keep silent, you are contributing to them losing this battle. If you will stand up as a man and say, Son, you can win this battle, and I'm here to walk with you through this battle, they can win it. You guys are not too young to make decisions that impact the rest of your lives. A lot of people think you're just too young. You know, when you're adults, we'll talk to you. That's baloney. You guys right now can make decisions that set you up for success. And if right now, if you guys will choose not to ever get into this porn issue, you're setting yourselves up to have a marriage where nothing else competes with your affection for your wife. And then that can just flourish like God designed it, where she's the only one that you desire. Don't you guys want to have a marriage like that for the rest of your life, where you desire your wife? I mean, we as guys want to be excited about our lives. We don't want to just be like, oh, all right, and this is protecting your future excitement with your wife, protecting your future desire for your wife. It's a good thing. Fathers, set your sons up for success in this area. Set them up for success. All of us as men need accountability in the lust area. I told you about Austin. He's my accountability partner. Go home and get an accountability partner. If you don't, you're just begging to fail. You're just begging to die on the line. Go home and get an accountability partner, guys. Get somebody that you love and trust and say, I want to be brutally honest with you. Austin and I are ferocious with each other in love. It's kind of weird. We'll say, that is a sin, dude, and, and that will kill you if you don't get right with God in that area, Austin or Nate. And then we can say, but I'm praying for you every single day, nonstop. And we're going to stand together through all these issues. And we're honest with each other about a lot more in lust, about insecurities, about fears, about hopes, about dreams, about you name it. Plug into good accountability and fellowship. You men, a lot of you came with your churches. Get plugged into your churches and get an accountability partner that will hold you to this. And be honest with them. Say, I want to have the best marriage that's ever existed on this planet. Hold me accountable to it. I want to tell you when I argue with my wife, and I want you to call me on it and tell me it's sin. Have that honesty with another man. If you start being accountable with somebody, you're like, I'm so scared to confess that sin. Like, I know he's never thought that before. Any temptation or thought has ever come into your head, I can pretty much promise you every other guy in this room has had that same thing come into their head. You'll, you'll find that it'll become one of the closest relationships that you've ever had in your life. My relationship with Austin right now, it's like the more sin I confess to him, the more sin he confesses to me, the more we show each other grace and pray for each other and stand with each other. Gosh, I love Austin as much as anybody on the planet. So get that accountability. And if porn is an issue, guys, if porn is an issue, I would challenge you to get on CovenantEyes.com and you can sign up and... You can have every single website you visit sent, like a list of all the URLs sent to your accountability partner. So it really kind of keeps this in the forefront, you know? You're not going to be so tempted to go to a porn site if your buddy at church or your pastor is getting a list of everything you visit. It really helps you. And then you guys can talk about it. So guys, I would encourage you, no matter what your struggle with porn is, get honest. Because we're never beyond falling. We're never beyond falling. Okay, 
And then watch your attraction, guys. Watch the kind of things that are attractive to you as men. Chris put it best, because my theory about men is that they're attracted to purity. Maybe young women seem more pure to them, and so they think that they're attracted to that. But purity is the issue that men are really after. Let's decide what really is attractive. In Proverbs 31.30, it says, Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. And in Proverbs 31, the whole chapter, it gives us a couple characteristics of attraction that we should find attractive. It says a woman that's virtuous, that's capable and talented, wise, resourceful. Nadine Clemens, she was so resourceful, she would go, she would get coupons and go to the store and leave with a thing full of groceries in the store owing her money, literally. And that's resourceful, right? That's resourceful. Tim Clemens has an awesome way. Okay, resourceful, energetic, strong, a diligent worker, kind. My wife is the kindest person I've ever known. I attribute the, the greatness of our marriage mostly to my wife. It's not because of me. She's humble and kind. I mean, anybody could have a great marriage with her. That's a beautiful thing. That's the most attractive thing about her, is that she's so kind. You know, she's never nagging me when I come home. She's never chewing me out. It's just, she's just kind all the time. That's very attractive. Okay, it says a good overseer of her home, and most importantly, loves God and fears God. That's the kind of woman that is to be praised. That's the kind of woman, guys, to look for. That's the kind of woman that we should desire. When you see those characteristics in your wife, notice that those characteristics are ten times more beautiful than the most physically attractive supermodel that ever lived, who was a jerk to her husband and thought she deserved everything. I heard about Jennifer Lopez, she's this actress, you know, that she won't even allow anybody on the sets of her movies to look her in the eyes. Nobody's allowed to look her in the eyes because she's above you. Gosh, you know, she's beautiful, but imagine being married to her. <laughs> you know? It's not going to work, guys. So see things that are beautiful. You know what? What God sees as beautiful in women? This is what it says in 1 Peter 3, 2 through 4. A woman that's pure, has godly behavior, and has an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it says those are very precious to God. I want to desire the same things that God desires. Again, God designed you so he knows what is going to satisfy and fulfill you most. And he said, that's what is attractive. So that will satisfy you when your wife is those things. And when you see those things in your wife, instead of holding them up to some other social standard. Okay, other things that hurt marriage. Poor communication. We'll talk about good communication in a minute. Changes in priorities. Lack of commitment to the marriage itself. Aaron always puts it like this. This is a great comment. She always says, is the argument more important or is the marriage more important? The marriage is more important, right? Am I going to be committed to the marriage or am I going to be committed to winning the argument? Sexual problems can be a big thing. If, if you've experienced that, there are awesome Christian counselors that can really help with that. Addictions, whether it's to porn or to alcohol or to who knows what else. Addictions will destroy marriages. Failed expectations. Expecting my wife to be here and getting something different. Expectations can really destroy us. And abuse. Abuse. Whether it's physical, emotional, verbal, or sexual. All those things can lead to failed marriages and divorce. Barna does a lot of Christian statistics, and as of last month, this new study is about three weeks old. came out the last day of March. You guys have probably heard this 50% stat as far as divorces, that about 50% of marriages end in divorces. That stat is really hard to support, and people have debated it for years. The United States quit taking statistics on divorce back in the 90s, so it's really hard to get any good current data about where things really are. But as they've surveyed people, they found it's really more like 33% of people. Because some people get married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced, so they kind of skew the numbers their own way. But basically, one out of three people that get married will end up getting a divorce, so maybe more marriages than that. 
And like I said before, Christians are not doing any better in the world. So we really need to step it up. Just because your marriage is not ending in divorce, that doesn't mean it's a success. And that's what I want to challenge you with today is your goal should not just be don't get a divorce. Your goal should be an awesome marriage that glorifies Christ. Everything we do, the purpose of it is to glorify Christ. Marriage is included in that. Okay, what are some things that make marriages a success? Communication is the number one thing. When they interview happy couples, why are you happily married? The number one thing they say is communication. Don't fight to win. Strive to understand each other. That's a big deal. In every conversation, I want to understand my wife. I don't want to just win this argument. That needs to be our desire. You have different styles of communicating. Here's the difference between you and your wife. It took me about five years to notice this, and then like open a new world for us in communication. Okay? When I said, hey, we really need to start exercising, what does your wife think? She's bad. Yeah, okay, see, so you've been married a long time. <laughs> I just thought, I'm a guy, it just means let's go exercise, you know? Aaron would say, you know, why do you say it like that? Like, why do I say it like what? You know, all I'm saying is we need to go exercise, you know? And it took a while for me to realize women read between the lines, and we as men, we mean what we say. And she didn't know that we mean what we say, and I didn't know she read between the lines. And so a lot of times we wouldn't understand each other. You know, she won't say, hey, Nate, could you please take out the trash? She'd say, wow, that trash is full, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I'm like putting more stuff in it. <laughs> in her mind, she's thinking, uh-uh, catch the drift, take it out, you know? And so Aaron and I now, we joke about it in our marriage. You know, she'll say, man, that trash is full. And I'll say, you want me to take it out? She'll say, you know, man, when was the last time that litter box was changed? I.e., I want you to change the litter box for the cat. But it took a while to learn that. So know that you're going to have different conversation styles, and one is not better than the other, guys. Strive to understand your wife. Meet her where she's at. And here's what, what Aaron wrote. So this is revealing. Expecting the other person to know what you want without telling them. They can't read your mind. Okay, so again, that's it. Be communicative. And be able to, to articulate what you, what you want. And that has a lot to do with having good boundaries together. Listen well, guys. Focus on your wife. These men are not good at this. You know, your wife has a problem. Oh, let's fix it. No, listen to your wife. Listen well. Respect her opinions and ideas, even if they're different than yours. Respect what she has to say. Don't argue, guys. Arguing is sin. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says arguing is a sin. doesn't mean that we haven't all argued. You can have disagreements with your wife, but you can end those disagreements peacefully and seeing eye to eye. Where are you coming from on that, on that issue? That's interesting. I really disagree with where you're coming from. This is where I'm coming from. But we're going to respect each other and love each other and work through this issue. That's a big difference from arguing and fighting. That's wrong. So don't argue with her. Don't gossip and slander. Talk good about your wife. How many of you, how many of you at your workplace heard something great about somebody's spouse this week? Before I went into full-time ministry, people would come into the office on Monday, hey, how's your husband? You know, they'd say to some girl, still breathing. You know, that was, I mean, she would be joking, but that was the idea. Talk good about your wives in your workplace, guys. That reflects Christ. And I heard Steve talking good about his wife. You know, that's pretty crazy. How does that happen? Okay? Pick your words wisely. They remember. They remember, guys. Aaron will say, remember when you said this? Eight years ago when we were dating? <laughs> well, I have no idea. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Before we got married, I made a decision. I'm never going to use the words fat, ugly, stupid in my marriage. I'm never going to use those words. If you've used those words or others, you need, to, you need to ask forgiveness. Be careful what you say. Affirm your wife. Don't tear her down. 
That's key. Okay, so communication is key. Flexibility. Give grace, guys. Give grace and unconditional love and acceptance. Closeness. We men don't necessarily need closeness emotionally. Women need that. Women need that. Just like you as men need sex, they need closeness. And talk about sex in a minute here. A lot of you are just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying that. But we like to be very real. Howard, Howard Hendricks said we should not be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. God created this to be awesome, so let's talk about it the way it should be. And prepare you young guys here to experience it the way God wants, which is better than any of your friends are going to experience it. So flexibility, give grace, closeness, develop closeness at her level. You can read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, or, or just get it on audiobook. That's what Aaron and I did. It talks about affirming words, physical touch, gifts, time spent together, acts of service. Know what your wife desires, and then do that in a way to develop that closeness with her. She needs that closeness. I'm going to be very real with you guys and, and tell a secret that you guys are going to either laugh me out of the room, or hopefully it'll encourage you in some area with your wife. Erin does not, she's not a morning person. I am a morning person. So when the alarm hits 5.45, no matter how tired I am or what time I went to bed the night before, I'm up on weekends. I'll sleep until like 6.15 or something. But I, I love getting up early. I do not like sleeping in. If I sleep in past 6, 6.15, I just feel like the whole day is wasted. That's just how I feel. Erin can sleep till 9 or 10. She hates alarm clocks. Okay? Here's where you get to laugh at me. She loves cuddling. Okay? My wife loves cuddling. A lot of you guys might need to go home and do a lot of cuddling. Okay? You know how I wake Aaron up every day? I wake up at 5.45, I go out, have my quiet time, and spend time with God. And around 7 or something, I go back in our bedroom, and I jump back in bed with her, put my arm around her, and just spend 5 or 10, 15 minutes just cuddling with her. It sounds kind of cheesy, but you know what? She loves it. You know, she loves it. And it develops a closeness for her that she feels comfortable with. You know, she knows that, that she can start every day trusting her and be there with her. I don't know what your wife needs. I don't know what she needs, but you probably know what your wife needs. So, so give her that closeness that she needs, guys. Compatibility. Work together as a team. You're not fighting each other. They told us at this marriage conference about some friends that whenever they got in an argument, they put post-it notes on each other's heads that said, I am not the enemy. <laughs> okay? So as they're talking to each other, they're reading the whole time, I am not the enemy, I am not the enemy, I am not the enemy. And it would force them to really communicate correctly with each other. Not a bad idea. Remember your team. Develop that compatibility where you see each other as a team. Get good at conflict resolution, guys. Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So get good at dealing with things appropriately when they occur. Now here's, here's something that they gave us at Family Life. This is really good. So if you're taking notes, write these steps down. Okay? If you're offended, if your wife offends you, there would be a way to work out that offense. If your wife offends you, admit between yourself and God that you're hurt. Don't try to be this man. Uh, it's not that big a deal. I can take it, even though I hate her guts right now. Admit, I'm hurt. What she did hurt me. What she did hurt me. Here's something silly. I grew up in a communist country for five years. It, I mean, communism had technically fallen, but it was all the same leaders. They bugged our phones. I learned very well to watch what you say. Russ learned this in Poland. So I'm always careful about people getting the wrong idea about stuff. It, I don't know. It's just something that got developed in me as a missionary kid in that place. So shortly after Aaron and I got married, 
for at church, right? And we were talking about our discipleship class on campus that we do cross-training, and we were going to split it. You know, the first few weeks we did it together, and then we split into five classes at the time, and wherever somebody that they could get plugged into that class. Okay? So Aaron, just out of the blue, we've been talking about it in the car, and then we then we get into the church, you know, and we sit down, people around us, hey, hey, how you doing? And Aaron just looks over at me, and she says, so are we going to go ahead and get separated tomorrow? Like that? And she's talking about this cross-training class. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to think that we're like, our marriage is on the rocks and we're getting separated, you know? So I, didn't, I was totally out of God, waiting until we got in the car to ream her out about it. <laughs> so, but, but what I want to encourage you guys with is, um, this was years ago, admit you're hurt. Don't try to be the man, I'm right, you know, you should just admit, that really hurt me. That really hurt me. The next thing to do is examine the offense. What really happened? What really happened? Does it need to be confronted, or should I just let it go? I should have just let that go, probably. Because I know what she meant, she knows what she meant. Why get, you know, why get into an argument over it? I should have let that go. I didn't examine this, though. Consider your contribution. What did you do that brought on that offense? I, I promise you guys, any, any problem you ever have with your wife, if you start asking God, he'll show you how you were involved in that problem. I promise you. If you're honest between yourself and God. And then check your heart. Why do you want to bring this up? Your wife is not the enemy. Is it to get back with her, or is it to fix a relationship? Or is it to mend and build the relationship? A lot of times, you know, I've brought something up because I almost just wanted to get back. So check your heart. Now, confront correctly. <laughs> Be careful about your place, your time, and your words. If your wife is not a night person, don't confront her at night on something. Does that make sense? Maybe don't confront her in front of your kids. Or in public. Be careful about the time, the place, and the words you use. And then finally, guys, forgive her and release her from responsibility. Say, no, it's done. I release you from owing me something for that offense. Okay? So admit the hurt, examine the offense, confront it correctly, and forgive her. Now, if you're the offender, okay, let's say you as a man did something wrong. I want to just challenge you guys as men. Man up and ask forgiveness and say you're wrong. A lot of us have a hard time saying, I was wrong. I want all you guys to say, I was wrong. One, two, three. I was was wrong. (laughs) Who who said that? Steve. (laughs) Okay, again, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was right. (laughs) Evan, got a long way to go, buddy. No, get familiar with saying that, because we're wrong a lot, and we need to admit it. So if you're the offender, admit to God and yourself that you're wrong. Examine the offense. What attitudes or patterns cause the offense? What caused you to wrong your wife. One thing that they talked about at this conference was if you're blowing up over small issues like the color of a car, that's like a level one issue, it means that something at like a level eight or level nine is wrong. Does that make sense? It's really indicative that there's something not right deep inside. So so examine, where is that coming from? Where is that coming, that desire to offend my wife, where is that coming from? Humbly seek her forgiveness. Say you're wrong and humbly seek that forgiveness and then rebuild trust. It does not happen over, overnight. This will take time. Rebuild trust over time, guys. Rebuild trust over time. So admit you're wrong to both God and yourself. Examine the offense. Humbly seek your wife's forgiveness. And then rebuild trust. Forgiveness is key. It's a continual process, guys. A long history means a long process. Long history means a long process. It's not going to happen overnight. Wake up every day deciding to forgive your wife and to ask her forgiveness. And here's a big key. Diffuse conflict, guys, with the power of blessing each other. Turn the cheek, Luke 6.29. When your wife kind of ticks you off, bless her. 
and just watch it transform the situation. Russ and Linda told us about that in pre-marriage counseling. And it's so true. So return blessing from insult in your marriage. And watch God transform your wife's character before your eyes. Okay, sex. We're going to talk about sex just briefly, though. Because I think it's good. Again, Howard Hendricks said, we should not be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. And that's the thing. Too many times in churches we've said, you know, we're not even going to go there. And so our kids are growing up like me. I grew up with no idea of sex. My parents gave me a little book, and that was the end of it. Fathers, talk with your sons about sex. They have questions. And either they're going to get the answers from you or their friends. So fathers, talk to your sons. Pastors, talk to your congregations. Be real with people. Guys, sex is a barometer of your relationship. It's not, young men, the reason you get married. But when you get married, it becomes kind of like a barometer. How well is your marriage doing? will be reflected in your sex life together and putting each other first. I want to put it this way, guys. Invest in your sex life. As men, I promise it'll make you happier. But invest in it, guys. And by invest in it, I mean serve your wife. Okay? Serve your wife. She's not just an object. She's not just an object that meets my sexual needs. She's a human being that I need to love. I need to meet the needs that she has, too. And together, we can really satisfy each other. Too many guys, they race into marriage and, and they consider their wife just like their sex toy, to be very blunt. That's not what she is, guys. Love her. Serve her. Put her first in that, guys. You're going to benefit from it. You're going to benefit from it. You're going to get a lot out of that. But really, make that all about serving. Make that about serving. Develop fun activities together, guys. Do things together that are going to really benefit the marriage. I want to give you guys this right now. Okay, this is a list of ideas for you and your wife. I have a few personal favorites of Aaron and mine there. But I wanted to give you guys a practical guide that you can take home that will maybe give you guys some ideas. Because I know if you're anything like me, we just don't come up with very good ideas all the time. This is a good way to be creative with your wife, okay? These are date ideas, time spent together, stuff like that. So this is predominantly for husbands. If you're not married, you don't have to worry about it. Okay, so find fun activities to build your marriage together. The more you invest, the better you're going to be in all these levels. Okay, so develop those fun activities together. Keep it and make it exciting for both of you. Dates, weekends, and vacations alone without your kids. Get away and do something together. Last year, I did something crazy and radical with Aaron. We had uh, gone on a trip with Kyle to Romania on a summer project. And our flights were just destroyed the whole way over there, just annihilated. So we got these vouchers for really reduced price plane tickets. So I used that to take Aaron on a surprise trip to Hawaii. We'd never done anything like this in our lives. And it was for our fifth anniversary and her birthday. I didn't tell her about it until an hour before we got on the plane. <laughs> Literally, she had no clue. An hour before, I said, we're on our way to Hawaii. She just about, <laughs> you want to see your wife flip out. And <laughs> she just about <laughs> died of a heart attack right there. Find creative ways to bless your wife. Don't think about it in terms of what can I get away with, but think about how can I how can I go all out? How can I pull out all the stops and blow her mind and show her that I love her, guys? So there are some ideas. Make her feel special. Family and friends have a good balance of positive, encouraging friends that are going to fight for you in your marriage. Develop friends that are going to encourage you to keep that marriage strong and watch the ones that aren't. Okay, finances, again, goes back to communication. Serve God in that. Okay, making marriage a success is a daily decision to serve and put the other person first. It's not a feeling. You guys, 
Remember this quote. Don't feel your way into acting. Act your way into feeling. I don't even know if you said that. Don't feel your way into acting. Act your way into feeling. It's great. You don't have any rights. You don't have rights in your marriage. Aaron and I all the time tell each other, we don't have rights. We don't have rights. I do not have a right to what I desire. I do not have a right to always be treated a certain way. When I start thinking in terms of rights, that's when my marriage goes down. When I start thinking in terms of, I'm a, I'm a sinful man saved by grace. The only right I have is to be his son through what he did at the cross. It gives me a different perspective on my wife. Understand the good, bad, split, guys. Understand that your wife is not going to be perfect. Things that aren't perfect, put them aside and focus on the things that you love about her. Instead of focusing on things you hate about her, focus on things you love about her. And learn to really accept her and receive her as she is. That was a big point that they hit at this conference. Was don't just accept your wife, but receive her. She's God's gift to you. Receive that the way God wants. Okay? So don't play the blame game, guys. Quit the tit for tat. Right? It takes two to tango. If your marriage is not doing well, you're partly to blame. Every troubled relationship starts and ends with two pointing fingers. That's how it's been for every divorce I've ever seen. Two people where the other person is the one making the mistakes. And if they can just get their act together, we'll be okay. Man up and say, you know what? I'm contributing to the problems, and I'm going to now contribute to the success of this marriage. So choose to see the good. So what do you think men need, guys? What do you think men need? You know, you need respect. You need respect. So be respectable. Give your wife something to respect. She's supposed to respect you unconditionally, biblically speaking. That doesn't mean that you should be a whole jerk and then just expect her to respect you. Be the kind of man that she can respect. You need companionship. You need sex. You need, as men, as husbands, you need certain things. If you treat your wife the way God desires, you get what you need. Your needs get met. So there's a lot in it for you. So now down to brass tacks in closing, guys. 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is bigger than just you and her. If, if your relationship with your wife is not where it's supposed to be, your relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be. It says if you're not living in harmony with your wife, that your prayers will be hindered. And a lot of us, that maybe doesn't float with our theology so well. But literally, God quits listening to you when you and your wife are having problems. So you could put it that way. And God's like, really? We'll talk once you go to your wife and clear that up. To becoming one. Now relating to him in harmony. He said it, not me. So what I want to challenge you guys with is, if your relationship with your wife isn't where it's supposed to be, you've got bigger fish to fry. That's <laughs> between you and God. And you, you need to go to God and get this right. Ask 1 John 1, 9, you confess that sin, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and forgive you. But also go to your wife and make that right. Now I want to look at Ephesians 5, 21-33, kind of in closing. Just read it with me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now here's an issue, guys. And pastors, please get this. Submission involves a little give and take. You know, in every marriage I've ever been to, almost, they talk, you know, they, they talk about where you know, the wife is supposed to submit to the husband, which is true. But don't forget the context of verse 21. Submit to each other in love. As a husband, I am not given God's green light to just dominate my wife. And of course, that's not what submission has anything to do with in the first place. But what it's painting a picture for here in Ephesians 5 is working together as a team. Sometimes you're going to have to give. Sometimes she's going to have to give. 
And predominantly, the husband is the head. It goes on to talk about this, and we'll mention it in a minute and what that entails. But there are going to be times, guys, where you have to submit to your wife, biblically speaking. I'm not saying you're not the head of that marriage. You are. What I'm saying is there are going to be times where you have to give up your rights for hers and to say, really, I put you first right now. That's a daily thing, and that's what love is all about. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Christ love you guys? Throw it out. He died for us. Sacrificially. Sacrificially. What does it mean to love your wife sacrificially? Anybody else? Yeah, and what you're hitting out there is, is, is a huge point. It doesn't say be willing to die for your wife. A lot of us guys think that. Well, it says, you know, Christ gave up his life for the church, so I should be you know, able to give up my life for my wife. That's true. You know, like if somebody says one of you is going to die, I'm going to kill one of you, and then take the bull. <laughs> but it's going a lot further than that. It's saying lay down your life. It's saying lay down your life in this world and pick up the life of Christ. Yeah. saying every day, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your fantasies, your expectations, your rights, lay them down. Your plans, your ambitions, your goals, what I think God wants me to do with my life, lay it down for your wife. Your well-being, your resources, lay it down for your wife. This is where I say, you know what? My ministry, this for me, it's like, I, is my ministry more important than my marriage? Not in a million years. Look at Ted Haggard. You know, he had 17,000 people in his church. Lost it all because of his marriage. My marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. My ministry is just a smokescreen. And that's what I really want to challenge you guys with, whether it's your job, whether it's your career, whether it's your ministry, whether, whatever it is. If your marriage isn't where God wants it, it's in vain. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When it's talking about that respect, when it's talking about Christ being the head of the church and that being our example as husbands, it's giving us a huge level of responsibility. Okay, so in a scriptural sense, my wife is called to submit to me. That's her calling. Okay, when you compare that to what I'm called to as a husband, that's not a whole lot. I'm called to lay down my life for her daily. I'm called to be the head of my marriage, which means that I'm taking the initiative to walk the way God desires in this marriage and to put this marriage on the level that God wants it. Does that make sense? I'm initiating praying with my wife. I'm initiating that's where God wants us, reading the Word with my wife, getting in the Word together with my wife. I actually just had one quick side note. I just thought it was super important to, to pass up. You'd mentioned praying with your wife, taking the initiative to do that. I just wanted to leave you guys with a statistic. Over one out of every two people get divorced, marriages get divorced, you know, 60 plus percent. So that if you look around, half of us statistically could get divorced. If you pray with your wife, it's one out of every thousand twenty-four. Wow. Statistically speaking, that yeah, means that all of us plus another 975 men wouldn't get divorced if they just prayed with their wives. It's that important. See, God wants us as men to take that initiative, to take that position of leadership for our wives' good, just like you said. 
It's not just like I'm doing it just because I'm calling the shots. But I'm doing this out of love for her, putting her good first. I'm taking the spiritual initiative. Guys, I want to encourage you, go home and take the spiritual initiative in your church. Too many pastors, Randy, I'm sure you've seen this in your church. You probably see a lot of women eager to serve and a lot of men that won't step up. That's the standard across this country. Serve in your churches. As you start to step up as a man in those capacities, you're going to become the man God wants you to be in your marriage, too. Plug into good fellowship, guys. We need each other. Guys, we need to step up. We need to take the spiritual initiative with our wives and in our churches to lead the way God has called us to lead, to take a stand the way God's energized us, empowered us as men to take a stand. The bottom line, guys, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, Russ in his Bible has this underlined and he says, read this every day. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And love never fails. I don't know if there would be any greater thing in the entire world than if somebody asked Aaron, how would you describe Nate? And she described, you know, he doesn't fail. He always perseveres. He always believes the best. He always protects me. He always trusts me. He always hopes for good for me. doesn't delight in evil. He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't boast. He doesn't envy. He's kind and patient. Wouldn't that just bring you to tears as men if your wife described you that way? I know I have a lot of growing to do. Let's love our wives like love is defined in that passage right there. We were talking about Frank, and you know, the days that, that I don't truly connect with God in the morning, those are the days I end up having an argument with Aaron in the afternoon. And I'll be like, man, what is with her today? She's such a jerk today, you know? I can't believe she was acting like that. And I go, oh yeah, you know, I, I spent 15 minutes in the Word and took off to campus or something. It's like God says, Nate, how in the world are you supposed to love your wife like I love the church if you're not connecting with me first? It has to come out of that. He has given you his Spirit's power, guys, to become the husband he wants you to be. You don't have to do this on your own. He's there to energize. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you think if I exhibit those things in my marriage, it'll be a good marriage? Probably. We'll see his spirit, his spirit is developing that in me. But I have to surrender to him daily and allow him to do that. So get in the Word, guys. Get in prayer. Seek him first. Matthew 6, 33. Seek him first. All these things will be added to you, including a good marriage, as we seek him first. As we seek him first. And as we consciously and daily choose to be filled with His Spirit, just to simply say, I surrender and let you empower and direct me right now at this point. Confessing all known sin. Guys, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, as we do that, He transforms us into His very image. And that's what He wants to do with each of us in our marriages, is to transform us individually into His image, and our marriage into what He's designed it to be. Okay, guys, thanks.